reading from John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. No branch that remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can yield fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I never understood the hatred that some people have for dandelions until I lived in a little brick bungalow on Barker Avenue in East York had a postage stamp-sized yard, and the lawn, if you could call it that, was more weeds than grass. And the dandelions, they grew in clumps. I'm talking 25, 30 dandelions growing off of one monster root the size of a small carrot. I remember looking at these things and being mildly terrified. It's like something out of a science fiction, uh, a dystopian story, right? Like, these things could take over the world. Why is it that weeds always grow faster than whatever it is you're trying to grow? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just 
you know, plant your garden and let nature take its course, <laughs> doesn't work. Nature requires cultivation. Now, there is a beauty in wilderness, of course, but God did not intend this entire world to remain wilderness. He didn't want it to be a wild place. He put human beings here to cultivate the earth, to make it more fruitful. And creation's not a machine. It's a living, breathing, dynamic, ever-changing reality. It um, it's always has the potential to be something more or something less. And we are part of creation. We're more like plants than machines. We're either flourishing or we're fading. Just like a plant, we need cultivation. John 15 tells us that God is our gardener. He cultivates us. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the gardener. Israel is often compared to a vine in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, and typically it's in the form of a complaint that God is making against his people. I planted this vine, I did everything for it, and yet it has only yielded wild grapes, bad fruit. But sometimes there's a hopeful note. In Isaiah 27, God promises he will watch over and water and guard his vine so that it would bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. When Christ said, I am the true vine, he was saying that promise is fulfilled. I am the vine planted in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word made flesh. And that flesh will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. The vine is planted at the cradle of Christmas, but it spreads its branches from the cross of Calvary. The cross is not mentioned specifically in this passage I just read, but Jesus says these, nights, these things on the night he was betrayed. They're still sitting at the table. He's just lifted the cup and said, this is my blood. The taste of wine is still on their lips, and then he starts talking about the vine. Clearly, there's an allusion here to the cross and his death. It's the blood of Christ that flows through that vine and gives life to the branches. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, this is not just a cute analogy to say, yeah, you should stay close to Jesus. It's a picture of the gospel itself. Christ is the vine. We're just the branches. We are wholly dependent on him by grace alone, through faith alone. We cling to him as our source of life. And many of us would like to stop there. We have life through faith in Christ, eternal life. But the branches can't be left to grow wild. They need cultivation. John Wesley talked a lot about the religion of the heart. He didn't mean a religion of feelings. He was concerned with our deepest desires, what he called our affections, the motivating drives that beneath everything else actually direct our choices. He knew that holiness was not just a matter of making different choices or changing your behavior. Sinful acts are just the symptom. The disease is in the heart. A central myth of our culture 
is that you should follow your heart. It's a horrible idea. The heart is deceitful above all things. We are masters of self-deception. Our hearts don't need to be heated, they need to be healed. Because our love is disordered. If we could love rightly, we would live rightly. But we don't love what we ought to love, and we love what we ought not to love. The human mind is a perpetual forge of idols, said John Calvin. We have an inexhaustible genius for false worship. That's why James K.A. Smith famously compared uh, going to the mall to a cultural liturgy. It's a kind of religious experience where your love is being formed, your heart is being formed by a vision of what you should love, of what the good life is. That book was written some time ago now when the, the mall is quickly losing its influence in our culture as they're being torn down and replaced by condos. If I was going to illustrate the same point today, I would just reach into my pocket. Talk about a formative practice that we're all engaged in. What desires are being formed in our hearts by our habits with our phones? See, it's a mistake to think of spiritual formation as something you either do or don't do. It's happening. You're being formed, whether you know it or not. We're like plants in a garden. We're affected by everything around us. The whole ecology in which we find ourselves and we're either flourishing or we're fading. So the father, the gardener, he doesn't just let nature take its course. He cultivates us. He cares for the garden by pruning. He prunes, first of all, by the word. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, Jesus says. And the word clean in verse 3 is the same as the word for prune in verse 2. So by receiving and believing the word proclaimed to them by the word incarnate, the disciples were clean, they were pruned, they were primed for bearing much fruit. The Father prunes his disciples by that word which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And he prunes secondly by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not mentioned in these specific verses again that I read, but you know the wider context of John 14 to 16 is some of the richest biblical teaching on the Holy Spirit. The guidance, the wisdom, the illumination, the conviction of the Spirit that Jesus talks about in those passages, that is God the gardener at work, making his disciples ever more fruitful. So Jesus is divine. The Father is the gardener who prunes by his word and by his Spirit. What's left for the disciples to do? to remain, to abide, to dwell in Christ. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To remain in Christ is to cling to Christ in faith. Not a vague faith in a vague God, but a sure trust and confidence in this God, the God of the gospel. 
We cling to one who is already clinging to us, who has already united himself to us in the person of the Son, the Word made flesh. The vine's already been planted. It's already established. To abide is to bask in the amazing love of God and to reflect that love back to him. But when a friend loves like that, because that's what Jesus calls himself in this passage, he says he is our friend who has laid down his life for us. When a friend loves like that, our love for him wells up in our heart and bears fruit not only in words but in deeds. Because this friend is also our Lord. And our Lord is owed our obedience. But when a friend loves like that, you don't mind doing what they ask. So faith and love and obedience go together. They're woven together. Jesus makes this very clear. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Abiding in Christ means abiding in his love. Abiding in his love means obeying his commands. To abide in him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. And to abide in love and obedience is to be like him. Obedience and love feed off one another in the ecology of God's garden. We obey because we love. We love by obeying. We obey by loving. And don't get nervous on me. Some of you are squirming. I know you're Protestants. It's Reformation Day. I'm not preaching justification by works. And I talk about obedience. We don't earn grace by obedience. Our obedience did not plant the vine. I did not choose you, you chose me, Jesus says. God is the gardener. We abide. But we abide in loving, obedient faith. Obedience is grace at work. In our self-obsessed culture. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We see obedience as a threat to our self-fulfillment. But Jesus sees it differently. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What was his joy? To do his father's will. He remained in the father's love by saying, not my will, but thine be done. Obedience is grace, bearing fruit in lives that look like Jesus. So abiding doesn't sound like much, but it's a countercultural act in our world of endless distraction where there are so many gods competing for our worship So as we come now to the Lord's table, we should pray for grace to submit to the pruning shears of God. 
There are many ways, there are many spiritual disciplines we can use to practice loving, obedient faith, but this is one of the most powerful. Now, in itself, it has no power. Some bread and some juice. But the gardener is here. And if we approach this table seeking him through faith in Christ, we submit to his cultivating work. Because here we are confronted again by the gospel of our rebellion and his mighty saving acts in Jesus. Here again we have represented for us in these signs our dependence, our utter helplessness that is more than matched by his abundant grace that flows freely to us. And here through his spirit, the gardener does his work, uprooting all those weeds that so easily spring up, smashing every idol that we have forged in the fires of our hearts and drawing our love back to Christ crucified. Amen.